resident lighting specialist to our Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, executive editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Mark Ontiveros joins us from Tustin, California, where he is founder and CEO of Audio Images, the award-winning Orange County custom integration firm that he founded in 1991. Audio Images team is passionate about engineering audiovisual solutions that truly fit their clients' needs. It's a process that Mark's company has trademarked as solutioneering a system. It's the first step to ensuring that Audio Images delivers a sensory experience that will inspire their client's mind, enhance their lifestyle, and move their soul. Mark and I frequently connect and chat at industry events, including Cedia functions and ASEAN Unlimited buying group conferences, but this is the first time that we've sat down to discuss Mark's career, his passion for volunteerism, and thoughts on specific tech trends and business management philosophies. I'm excited to learn more about one of the true veterans of the custom integration channel. Mark and Ontiveros, thanks for joining us today to tell us about your career and share some of your residential tech insights. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a little bit too long. You know, we run into each other, but we haven't really got to spend a lot of great time because COVID and everything kind of got in the way. So looking forward to hopefully doing more of that soon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you come up to me at events and and we have uh, some some chatter about what we see at like a Cedia Expo or uh, mm-hmm. talk briefly at ASEAN. But uh, I feel like there are some people that I have gotten to know pretty well and uh, maybe it's because we've done stories together and people that I just see everywhere and say hello and haven't really taken that next step. I'm kind of the introvert that doesn't go too far into the conversation sometimes when I'm running around. And now I just feel like this is the moment publicly we're going to get to know each other better. Um, I know that I always cross paths with you during uh, CEDIA Awards events at Expo Banquets back in the day. You were clearly uh, one of the winners all the time. You took pride in your projects. And unlike many in the industry, you took the time to actually enter the competition and show your work, which I think is part of the key to doing well in those competitions, just actually entering them and um, finding the right projects. So I was curious, um, how long did it take after launching your company in the early 90s, before you felt like you were confident in the great work that you were doing and you really wanted your peers to see what you're doing? Well, I think uh, part of it was in the early days, it used to be a bit of a um, popularity contest. And what I mean is at CDA Expo, the voting was done by those that were attending and and live. You'd walk up to an AMX, if people remember who what that was about, AMX touch panel, and you'd actually pick from the different ones. And I can remember there were actually companies who had entered their stuff and they were actively standing there, like trying to get people to vote for them. And I still submitted stuff, but it probably took a good five or 10 years of being in the industry before we submitted anything. And I'll be honest with you, we didn't win. We didn't win for years and years and years. And it wasn't just because initially it was a popularity contest with no real recommended practices like what they have today to judge by that are published for everybody to look at. And the recommended practices aren't really just so that, oh, I can win an award. The recommended practices are based on all of these recommended practices that are part of like the THX commercial standard or the Dolby Atmos or Dolby digital standards that those commercial theaters have to be able to pass. 
And um, we were involved in the acoustics of Dolby World Headquarters on Market Street a couple of years ago. And although we weren't installing those acoustics, we were providing and doing the logistics for 56 labs. It was like 5,600 treatments. And all of the design engineering that was done by a firm uh, and a particular designer who actually we had worked with in the past when he worked for Tony Gramani, he was uh, at this design firm. And so he reached out to us along with two others, and we were fortunate enough to be awarded the contract. Well, 5,600 treatments and rooms that were constantly changing, literally on a moment's notice. And then we're loading by room into a 20-foot trailer for these tractor trailers to go up to San Francisco and unload by room and then be installed was quite the challenge. I bring this up because, again, there was recommended practices and certain specifications that had to be met. And it doesn't matter if the plumber, the electrician, or some other trade had to move some of these acoustics around. You still had to meet that spec for that room. So us being knowledgeable in those acoustics and being able to work with the acoustician and make last minute changes as the stuff's literally getting on the truck to go up to be installed was really beneficial so that those changes could be made. And if that happens to sound a lot like what we do residentially day in, day out, it's very much the case. In commercial, it's usually like, here's the plans, you execute the plans. In residential, it's a wild, wild west, as we all know. And any day you can show up and somebody move something thinking it wouldn't really matter, but it could radically impact the home theater. That's the world that all of us in custom residential live in, and not just in theaters, but throughout the projects. So I say that because even the best laid plans, highly engineered, you still have to have that experience and expertise to know what you can and can't move and how to move it and what to do to still achieve the desired intent for the engineering. And it did take a number of years and a lot of experience under our belt to get to the point where the projects that are now judged by those recommended practices and standards could meet and or exceed what those standards are so that our projects would be considered by the judges as acceptable or exceeding expectations. Sorry, that's a long answer. But. <laughs> no, that's that really frames it well. And uh, and clearly, by the time you and I were seeing each other on that stage when you're getting those awards and you've continued to receive those, you were well into um, your career. Um, I wanted to kind of go back to that early start. And it looks like if your bio is uh, accurate that you opened your company in 1991 right after graduating from Cal State Fullerton yeah. with, a, with a degree in real estate finance, which is somewhat related to our industry, I would imagine. Totally. And a tangential way, but uh, how did you even get started in in this tech field? What was your interest prior to college that got you into residential tech? Cars and car audio. Okay. So uh, I was very much into uh, Volkswagens, Cal look, particularly uh, Volkswagen Gias and buses. I had my first car was a 69 Volkswagen Gia that was custom. I had taken apart uh, my first a stereo system, which is a pair of Bose 301 speakers, and took the mid-tweet combo and the woofers out and the crossovers, and I installed them into my 69 Gia show car, um, which my father kind of winced at. But uh, <laughs> in the end, I didn't win any competitions for car audio with that car, but I won a lot of competitions for um, Volkswagen 
Kias and Volkswagens overall. Um, but later I got into car audio with my, uh, my Honda Accord and my Acura. And then um, through learning about car audio from probably one of the most important people who came up through IASCA, CAN, and NACA, those are three things like CEDIA for car audio back in the day, he taught us about acoustics and about um, crossovers and about tuning using audio control EQTs, which were all the rage back in the car audio days. So I had John Koval as that gentleman um, and then Scott Turney of the auto concert um, as mentors. And um, so I had to learn in reverse about acoustics using some really nice uh, Apogee Duettas and some uh, quad ESLs that John Koval had modified. And these are two channel, very uh, tweaky speakers that are like a listening envelope of like, you can only move your head a little bit. Um, so he taught us all about acoustics and uh, a lot of principal things like you can't hear the grass grow through a particular type of cable just because it costs more doesn't mean it's any better. Um, things like this. And he taught us a lot or taught me a lot of these principles, which then translated later into high-end home theater and two-channel listening and such. And then we were fortunate enough, myself and I had a fraternity brother who... Um, as we got out of school, there was, you know, uh, economic uh, downturn and okay. it was either continue working in the grocery industry and do car audio and car alarms independently or um, go work for somebody in real estate making very little money. Mm. I would have taken a huge pay cut. So kept doing the stuff with the grocery industry and the cars and the car audio and uh, started getting further and further into it. As a matter of fact, I went to work for the good guys in Tustin when they opened up their first Orange County store. And that's kind of where all these people in um, residential consumer audio landed. And then installation started taking off custom install. So the good guys actually would refer myself and, and this business partner I had at the time uh, custom install work so that we could you know, get our contractor's license and, and go and do retrofits. And um, we did um, ISF calibrations, um, Joe Kane and Joel Silver. We got the Philips color analyzer. We were changing out the Fresnel lenticular screens on people's Toshiba TVs um, and all that kind of stuff, trying to make things better for our clients. And uh, after working with the good guys for a little while in car audio, kind of was the go-between between sales and installation, uh, part-time, of course, while I still restored cars, went to college, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we decided, okay, enough of that. We're just going to go, you know, full time into uh, residential installations. We did a couple of commercial jobs, but mostly residential. So um, we continued on, and uh, things really took off as far as Adobe Pro Logic, surround sound, ultimately flat screen TVs, etc. And then at some point, I met Tony Germani, who I'd already seen teach at Cedia, but he showed up on one of our projects where the client had hired us and Tony unbeknownst to me Ooh. that uh, he would be there and our lists look very similar of the corrections of the previous installer that had done this home theater it was mm. what we called the mars venus project and it was our first feature by audio video interiors mm. carol campbell's magazine um and from there we started working with tony and i think we're at least 200 jobs maybe 300 now with tony and every room we do that's a closed room uh, and even a lot of whole house audio as engineered acoustically and then tuned by Tony Gramani. Wow. I had no idea that you guys were so intertwined. I knew that you'd work together on projects and I, I do remember him being a part of those award-winning projects as well and, mm -hmm. and others, um, that weren't yours, but, uh, and obviously Tony 
used to write for me when I was with Residential Systems, and we had a good rapport there and have kept yeah. in touch with him over the years. So that's a great partnership. And uh, where where is it that um, you feel like, you know, obviously, is there a time when you just said, this is something that we could probably get better at just doing ourselves, but Tony is just such an expert at it that we want to continue to allow him to be the one that just focuses on on this part of the project when it's a closed room mo- mostly? Yeah, or- so there's there's two ends to it. Um, there's the upfront engineering and then there's the final tuning. And my belief, not just with Tony, but with all the specialty trades, I'll, I'll use the same thing for motorized shades uh, or window treatments, right? Um, we provide the motors, we will do the programming, we will do the wiring, but there's a lot to somebody who's got 30 plus years of experience and expertise in doing those motorized shades. So I still leave that to those experts, even though we could make more money doing it ourselves, I feel like it's a specialty. So Mm -hmm. take that and amplify it a hundred thousand times because acoustics and what Tony does is really magic. You take all of his combined years of expertise and experience and now his speaker line, which we do a lot of, um, and everything that he has stuck between his ears and his ears for their analog listening capability. And this is how we've ended up having these magical rooms. And they're not all really, really expensive. As a matter of fact, frequently I'm asked on our lower and smaller systems, why do we need to have this engineering done by this outside party? It seems to be you know, an excessive cost. I said, well, just because we know how to do it doesn't mean that we should just do it without an engineer. Similar to this custom home you're building and remodeling, you hired an architect to do all the engineering and the structural engineer and MEP, and then you hire a builder, even though the builder knows absolutely how to build it and could probably just build it without a set of plans. You have to have a sheet of music for everybody to be operating off of. Without that sheet of music, I guarantee you there are going to be problems. So it's not just about getting that sheet of music because there's a number of people in the industry that could do that. It's about having the foremost authority in multi-channel surround sound in the world do those projects so that we have a guaranteed result. And that really is the biggest thing, a guaranteed end result and frequently a result that exceeds what we thought it should be. Even Tony's blown away sometimes, especially when it's not his product, because we don't necessarily use his product for every job because not all clients care that much or need super high performance. And sometimes we'll both look at each other and go, two plus two equaled five this time. (laughs) It shouldn't really be as good as it is. And it far exceeds expectations, especially easily you can turn off the the EQ settings and DSP settings and hear a substantial difference. I can remember a job where we got six decibels more bass just because of the tricks that he was implementing in the DSP and in the EQ. And I mean smooth, flat, proper bass. So it's not about, hey, there's only one way to get to the promised land of awards or delivering a well-engineered, well-executed system. There are many people out there, and I have great respect for Sam and and Steve Haas and, and multiple others. Um, it's just that Tony and I understand each other's companies well, and we work well together. And But I tell you, if people really care about getting to or exceeding those recommended practices, especially with the new ones that that CD is coming out with that I know Tony and others around the world have been actively working very hard on. Um, 
I recommend that people go out and hire somebody who knows acoustics and understands all the recommended principles and, and work with them. Again, there's several out there that are very good. Tony's excellent as well. But if they care enough to want to deliver an end result that's predictable and exceeds expectations of the client, uh, I, I can't say enough. It's a lot more work. It's difficult. And Tony holds us accountable. Like just because we're paying him and bringing him the job doesn't mean he just will turn a blind eye if there's an issue. And sometimes the issue isn't anything that anybody could have predicted. Some weird thing that happens because of some thing and how it responds in a room. But we work together to resolve it. And in the end, the clients are always super happy because we exceeded their expectations and sometimes our expectations. Yeah, just so you, to, the audience knows, Sam Cavett is Sam, who you referenced, and yeah, sorry, g- good friend of mine as well. And uh, and uh, I I've had him on the podcast. I need to have Steve Haas on the podcast because I respect him well. We've I've done stories on him in the past. But um, when you talk about this, spe- those specialties, and you mentioned the the motorized shades uh, specialty, uh, are you talking more in terms of the materials and the aesthetic part of that? Since you're doing more of the tech part, or is it the is there more to it? There's, from there is more to it. If it's just a standard roll up, roll down, like a lot of times you see in a commercial space, um, that's not really where the trickery comes in. It's uh, uh, We're on a project right now uh, where there are four different types of companies' motors, not just one company. Uh, Lutron, Somfy, um, Crestron, and one other company's motors are there. Furthermore, there's another third party that takes some of those motors and highly modifies them with the permission of Lutron and others to get things to be the way they are on this very special project. The point is that a lot of people think for custom install, meaning outside of the industry, that we're just taking, you know, receivers and speakers and things off the shelf and then we just go put them in holes and then we hook them up and it just works. We all know that that's not the case. It's kind of the same thing even in the motorized window treatment world. They are taking those motors and they are taking fabrics and they are then taking and turning into something that maybe it's not even intended to do or they're solving a problem um, in construction and how they do it. And again, that goes back to all this years of expertise in getting it just perfect, which is what the clients want. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Was, is that Does that happen to be um, Dennis Lister's company, Dell Motorized Solutions, that you're speaking mm, about? With- no. No, different no. one. Okay, so I know he does all the weird shape window. Um, yes, for uh, yeah, and there's a number of people that do it, but you also have to be somewhat local. You can't have somebody flying from across country, right? Because there's some really weird stuff that's <laughs> difficult to pull off that I I couldn't ever do. But we will program, we will wire, we will do all that. Um, you know, my custom integrator when I was doing a control four system with them, they brought in their own. HVAC specialist um, mm-hmm. and didn't at all touch the thermostat, and I thought that was interesting. And they explained why because it's a it's a specialty and it it can get screwed up pretty quickly. Yeah. So is that also the type of thing that you do um, with other specialties like that? And yeah, so HVAC we've kind of become the you know knowledgeable expert on things like Daikin. Uh, it's backnet based, but Daikin in itself is its own monster and those so, are for like high-rise kind of applications yes, but they get used in a lot of our, our clients especially larger homes okay so we've had to become you know the really smart 
people in the room when it comes to that because the HVAC contractors putting it in don't necessarily get as much expertise and experience on Daikin and BACnet as an example. But we can handle that you know, typically ourselves. But there are other specialty things such as video calibration. Dave Abrams from AvaCal does all of our video calibrations and he's very well known for the quality of his work. So all of our projectors at any price point he does and he's certified and trained on such and then the bulk of our displays not the low 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 end ones but everything above a certain price point and size are all done by dave before they leave here and sometimes obviously touched up or uh, redone slightly based on the environment but that's another key thing that we learned from you know joel silver and, and joe kane back in the day is how important it was to have reference quality video where it matters. Yeah. And speaking of which, um, I noticed that you had, um, you'd made a reference. I'm looking for it in my notes to, uh, basically like a video processor that you are. Oh, Mad VR. Yeah. Mad VR. Right. And I, I know the name Mad VR. I haven't done much with them and I probably should. And I'm remiss that I didn't. Um, but can you explain, um, with this, many things getting to be high quality now on the video side. Yep. That there's still a need to go even further with it with something like that and explain mm-hmm. what that does. Well, so back in the day, we had the Fruja line quadrupler, yeah. right? And then um, we've had other companies with other significant advancements and improvements. And a lot of times what ends up happening is there's this outside company who's an interrupter that does things like Fruja. And then somebody comes along and says, oh, great, I'm going to buy your intellectual property and we're going to bake that chipset into this little thing. And then it becomes part of everything, right? So um, MadVR kind of interrupted our industry, mostly through commercial initially. It's been several years since I first connected with uh, with him, um, Richard Lestowski, but, um, they make a pretty good size black box. It's actually a PC and it's doing color correction. It's doing motion correction. It's doing things with closed captioning. It's also resizing the picture. And, um, at the end of the day, it makes everything look fantastic. Would I put it on a 65 inch display? No, this is for large format, high end displays. So for us, it probably starts in the any projector over $30,000 maybe, um, particularly the Barcos. And again, this is nothing about Barco or Sony or anybody's projector looking bad. This is just an enhancement, much like people do in their cars with having ECU chipsets that are more further enhanced for you know, the local gas that's available or any of these other things. But it is a significant improvement to the picture where every time we demo and show it to a client, they're just taken aback. Still photography, video, motion artifacts, you name it. It's it's stunning um, because the tools are there within these machines. It's just you got to know how to manipulate them, and they've found ways to, to do that. I think at this point, most of the high-end integrators around the world are, are getting familiar with the product, but we were fortunate enough to run into Richard when they were just entering our market and further encouraged them and... Uh, I can't say enough. Great company to work with and great people. And the product is just stunning. Now, speaking of video, uh, you, you obviously go uh, into commercial projects as well. Uh, a, little the, a little bit. And the, and there's a more of a tendency to go toward this category in, in commercials. Why I bring it up is um, the direct um, LED, direct mm-hmm. view LED, um, mm-hmm. like the the wall and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything where you're replacing the projector with 
a giant LED wall yet in a home or even in, in an office space? So not not for theaters because there's some issues around having a giant piece of hard surface at the front of the room and what acoustically that presents. Also because you can't just put a center channel or all three speakers right in the midst of that LED wall, DV LED wall. And there are a number of companies, including Tony's, that are working on or have solutions for all that. Um, it's also, I don't want to say cost prohibitive, but if you're talking about 180 to 230 inch wide screen, which we are doing, that would be a very expensive video wall. When it was a hundred inch wide or 54 by 96 back in the day when we had, you know, CRT projectors, that wouldn't be so bad, but still far more expensive by a large magnitude as compared to a projector. So um, they're very helpful where there's high ambient light, obviously. Um, they're very bright, 500 to 2,000 nits on several of them, Samsung, Barco. Um, there's many commercial companies, Absin, that do all this. Uh, there's a great company called Quantum that showed an amazing product at the show. We have a couple of those coming up. We've done a, um, several of the Samsung walls. We were early adopters on that. Um, but in my opinion, uh, not ready to be used in one of our theaters for the reasons we were mentioning. Um, in the future, I'm sure those challenges will be resolved, especially the audio challenge. But for now, we prefer still to use uh, high-end large projectors, particularly from Barco. <clears throat> I would make oh, the case. DCI compliance issues too. Uh, none of the oh. video walls are DCI compliant yet. So we don't do work in LA, but those that do, and they have their clients that are on the Bel Air circuit or DCI um, type clients, video walls aren't yet there. Quantum says that theirs will be fully certified in a very short while, but I, I you'd have to talk to Ken about that. Hmm. Um, but outside of that issue, I don't see them replacing projectors tomorrow, but maybe in a few years, especially as the volume keeps going up and the costs keep coming down. It's just, and it's, it's an expensive display. They look tremendous. We've all seen the, you know, various manufacturers at the shows. It's just not really for the theater yet, but a lot of people are doing media rooms. And so there it works out great. Yeah. The high ambient light room. I, don't necessarily like it in a theater from a brightness standpoint, even though I'm sure you could adjust that. I always feel like my eyeballs are burning when I'm watching the brightness that comes off of those in that kind of a contained room. But uh, yeah, of course that doesn't mean, you know, you have to turn the lights down either anymore. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I can yeah see but with it. the right brightness projectors, you don't have to turn the lights down either. We're frequently using the upper end Barco um, Nord or Freya's and those are putting out a lot of light. Good point. Okay. Well, after the break, we will continue our conversation with Mark Ontiveros. Do you want superior smart home automation at a great value? Shelly Wi-Fi relays by Ultraco Robotics cover DC to line voltage, allowing you to control lights, outlets, appliances, garage doors, pumps, and much more. There are Shelly sensors and power measurement devices to help you measure temperature, humidity, lux, or motion and electrical consumption from single wire to three phase with neutral. You can use Shelly with a licensed driver for Control 4, Elon, or other premium systems, as well as your customer's existing hub, voice assistant, or any platform that accepts REST, MQTT, or CoAP. 
Shelly can make IoT very easy. Available now at Blackwire, City Electric Supply, and Worthington, or at ShellyUSA.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Mark Ontiveros, founder and CEO of Audio Images in Tustin, California. Um, Mark, one of the things that uh, came to mind when I was kind of looking into your background was simply your longevity in this industry as an integrator. And there are folks out there who have been doing what you're doing as long as you have, but there are more that have not made it and who have gone on to maybe work for a manufacturer or rep, whatever it is. They've changed careers. Uh, They've gotten burned out. They maybe Mm. just couldn't keep going with the business side of things. Um, I remember a long time ago, I was at a a Runco getaway and Greg Margolis was there from Dallas Electronics. Hmm. He, uh, he was just always there and seemed like he was in a good mood. And I, I asked him how did, how, and this was years ago and he's still doing it. How have you kept going after so many guys have just kind of moved on? And yeah. He said, when he gets burned out, he takes a vacation. It's <laughs> like a great Greg answer. Um, what, what's your key, um, to, to been, having been doing this so long. Do you just love it? Um, I'm passionate about the people and I'm passionate about building people. And that's something that my dad instilled in me a long time ago. Uh, he was a HR person by trade. He's been gone 26 years. Um, he actually passed away while I was at the CDO awards 26 years ago in September. I know. And it wasn't an awards that we were winning, I can tell you. But, um, the point is he instilled in me, you know, the work ethic and integrity and all that. But, most importantly about you know building and growing people and that's something we're proud of here and that's why we've got a long a lot of people who have been here not only just a long time but you know we say if you're not growing you're going so that's number one is um people uh and their and their growth um the other thing is of course the technology it's a lot of fun what we do it's a double-edged sword as everybody knows who does what we do because it can burn you really bad it can be really frustrating but it's also really cool to sit down the client the first time and introduce them to their theater or their house uh, and all the amazing things that we can do. And you can't really ever get over that. I mean, I still get uh, hairs on my arms standing up and goosebumps when I play certain tracks from certain artists music wise or even a film. And that's not a reaction you can just talk yourself into. That's just a visceral reaction, right? So um, I still get those uh, chills and I still really enjoy what we do despite the technology being challenging and COVID and people problems and everything else, because you're going to have people problems no matter what business you're in. I mean, I guess you could go to some foreign land and just fish and sell your fish or something. And you wouldn't <laughs> have many problems, but um, you know, we were talking about this on the call just before this call, because I'm part of uh, synergy. I'm a founding member of that board that, that Travis leads and um, that's a professional development group, much like YEO or YPO. Um, but for integrators, uh, mm-hmm. it also gives us all a, uh, a place for support. But uh, we were talking about this whole thing and COVID and our employees and the crazy clients that we all have and how we try to keep our employees happy despite these crazy clients that we have. Yeah. Um, and it is challenging, especially in today's post-COVID um, world everybody's more on edge and there's mm. just a lot of challenges that people are having outside of their AV systems. And then when they get home and they've had a 
bad day because of all those challenges and one little button on the remote doesn't work or something <laughs> doesn't instantly do what they wanted to do, then sometimes they come unglued. And honestly, it's not even really that bad or that it's even our fault, but we're the ones that take the brunt of it. And everybody expects instant response and feedback. And I don't mean just our clients. I mean, across the board, because by the way, they'll remind you they spent 50% more than they really did spend when they're talking to you on the phone, telling you about <laughs> it. And they expect that speaker in their powder bath to be working over the phone right away. And frequently it has nothing to do with us. It's, it's the power companies or it's an IT ISP issue. A lot of times, um, despite our best efforts. Yeah. So, um, the secret to longevity in the business is well-engineered and designed plans mm. and inspecting what you expect. And of course, growing your people and empowering them, which, you know, for somebody who's, uh, I'll say not a control freak, but, uh, who's focused on performance and mm. high expectations that can be difficult, um, as the business owner and having the reputation that we do for excellence and high customer service and satisfaction and these electronics, unfortunately, the manufacturers sometimes burden us with being the person to figure out the problems that they should have figured out before they released it. I think there's a number of companies who are doing a much better job these days of alpha and beta testing and, and asking us to um, do that not just us, but many companies do that. I think that in my 30 year history in the business has greatly improved, yeah. but also electronics are getting more and more difficult and challenging. And the almighty Apple uh, in their best interests often releases firmware that screws the entire industry up. Mm. Um, they're not the only ones, but they're probably the biggest one that really can challenge our clients and our stuff. Cause a lot of us are tied in somehow to these Apple products. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the reasons uh, why I stay in it is is the enjoyment. And then how do I balance it? Uh, I've got now two teenagers. And so we have to balance family and, and work balance. We have to take some time off. Recently went with my son to Germany and went to a whole bunch of factories, uh, BMW, Porsche, Mercedes, and whole bunch of fun car stuff. And that was really great to get away with him and disconnect and get a refresh. Um, but it is not an easy business and it doesn't really sleep like other industries and trades, even construction trades. Those guys turn off their phones that are pumping concrete, let's say. Yeah. We don't get to do that, unfortunately. And so it is a challenging business and integrators across the country hearing this totally will get it. Because yeah. not one of us has a magic bullet that just solves all those problems forever. Um, power conditioning is a big one. You know, we're really big on um, putting in Joe Piccarelli's Rosewater systems and mm. UPSs from uh, various companies. Uh, but you can't fix everything all the time. There's just some stuff that wiggles in there somehow and makes it difficult. Are you dealing with um, being in California, are you dealing with a lot of solar installations and integrating that into um, like the, the integration line? isn't that heavy. You, you have to give them what they want for, you know, their, their, their connection to the network and such, but it's not like, Oh, the solar guy you know, brought our system down or whatever. That's happened one time. Actually, they plugged something in that they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have been touching our stuff and it created a loop, a network loop. 
But outside of that, no, it's not really that bad. Um, but the, the batteries and having power even when the grid is off right. is a huge help because that means the systems aren't having to go through power cycles. Yeah. So that actually is helpful. And um, and Starlink has been helpful too because even when the ISP is down, you can do a backup with a Starlink mm. uh, on Musk's uh, internet service provider. Okay. So those things are helpful, but there's still stuff that's beyond our control that we have no way of being able to do anything about. And it leads to these challenges. So do you, what do you have as your service program? Do you have any 24 hour outsource yeah. on that as well as, no. as your own? It's just it's your internal. own team. And, and how, how do you manage that in terms of who's on, who's off and maybe bonuses for off hour kind of stuff or anything like that? Age old question and something that I'm not going to really get into. Okay. It's your, we, we, it's your secret we sauce. It, we do it internally and we do it well, but I will say it doesn't matter how well you do it or what program you have. It's still a challenge. Yeah. That, that's all there is. There's no magic thing. Right. Unfortunately, I wish there were. Yeah, it's the it's the thing that burns everyone out, though. You know, it's the thing that mm-hmm. everybody needs to sort of figure out an answer to, so it doesn't fall on you every time. Yeah, uh, or somebody else. I all agree. The time. Yep. Well, outside of your in- industry involvement, I, I know that uh, your volunteerism is a big deal for you, and um, wondered if you you wanted to just touch on that. I I don't. It, it seems to me that there are folks who do this so that they can get business and there are folks who do it because it's from their heart and who Mm -hmm. they are. And I know you have some personal reasons for doing some of the activities that you do. Um, and I won't, you know, put you on the spot and have you reveal any of that if you don't want to, but just, could you share a little bit about that? Cause I know it's important to you. Yeah, no, it's super important. Um, it's how my grandfather who, you know, got an education to, I think fourth grade before he moved from Marincy, Arizona to, uh, well, sorry, fourth grade, uh, he was still in Murrency, but then they end up coming here ultimately, uh, to California to work in the shipyards during the war. And then he had these grocery stores slash uh, liquor stores. And, um, you know, at Christmas they'd, you know, give away bags of oranges to all their, their customers. And, and he did a lot of stuff for the community, but then, you know, my dad, um, was type one diabetic all his life and didn't think he was going to live past age 30. He lived to be 56. Um, so I got on the board of JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, for six years, and then they roll you off. Um, so I was involved in that heavily. And then my son is autistic. He was um, diagnosed at age three. He's 14 and a half now. So I got involved in, in that board of TACA, um, the Autism Community in Action. But outside of that, we have a homeless ministry that we started about 15 almost 20 years ago, myself and a good friend, uh, he had a catering business, a very high-end catering business in Orange County here. So he would prepare the food in bulk. And then I had volunteers who would put it together in kits and we would go, it was non-perishable. And we would go to where all the homeless population was and hand it out on the three major holidays, Easter, Christmas, and Thanksgiving until that became um, more competitive, believe it or not. Yes, there's competition. So they actually had too much food that they couldn't possibly eat in a uh, 24 to 48 hour period. So we started looking for the next solution. And that's when we came up with the hygiene kit idea, which other people were doing. So we build these hygiene kits that I underwrite. um, And then I get volunteers to help build them. We usually build three to 400 at a time in a Ziploc bag. Uh, has a variety of things that make it you know helpful to those that are living on the street. And a lot of people are you know living on the street by choice. It's not just because they're homeless. They actually want to. I'm not saying that's the bulk of it. Yeah. It's probably 20 to 30% of the people 
Um, I go out at four o'clock in the morning, usually once a year, every other year to do this count that they do in various counties across the country and in the state. And so um, I get to see and experience and interface um, with the homeless. Um, but it was really became more of a, a two or threefold situation. It wasn't just about um, you know, hey, this is another human being and, and I'm an adult and I'm, you know, handing them something that's going to make their life better. It became a thing where through Indian Guides and Princesses and other stuff my kids were involved in, I started taking out not necessarily the small kids, but the slightly older kids or their parents. And now with my son in high school and various church groups, um, I have them help build the bags and we don't get to go out into the street as a group, but then the people that built the bags, so it's usually the parents and the kids, they put five or 10 in their car. And so when they roll up on somebody at a street light or a stop mm. sign or whatever, and they're looking for a handout instead of handing them money or whatever, they'll hand them out one of these uh, hygiene kits, which is really helpful for the people living on the street. And of course they're really happy and excited to, to receive that. Um, so it's become more of a getting uh, the kids to understand it's not just something happening on TV or they see in the news about the homeless. And obviously yeah. the homeless population has been growing a lot because of COVID and all these other things. So it just helps um, bring some awareness to the homeless population and challenges we have and, and that we're you know super blessed to have a home to live in. Um, and there's other ways that we help various organizations or Orange County Rescue Mission next door. We help them with their, their chapel that they built. And then serving people in need is another one. We built bikes for them last year because we had to cancel our Christmas party because of COVID. So instead we had a party in the parking lot and for every employee, um, we built as a team, all these bikes and we delivered them to serving people in need and they delivered them to their client base and people that don't have enough money to afford a bike, but at least they have a roof over their head now. Um, so there's a number of, uh, various charities. We support the three, five, um, down at Camp Pendleton, uh, that's Marines and their families. So we've done a bunch of stuff for them, a lot of it through my church and independently. Um, so we're just involved in a lot of different things yeah. um, to help serve the community and, you know, for the reasons that I believe God put us here on earth and that's to just help others, not for, you know, gaining business and all this other stuff. We kind of keep it, I don't want to say low pro, but it's not like a big deal for the company. If people want to help that work here, then they do, but I don't, you know, I don't demand it. Right. Except for the bike thing. That was a really cool event. Like really everybody got together because they hadn't been able to really get together and we were outside and we had our annual tamale party and everybody built bikes and, and people still talk about that till you know, till now. So if somebody wanted to put together hygiene kits, um, what would be a good combination of pieces that go into that? Um, so socks are really important. Um, everybody likes the crew socks. So we usually do two pairs of socks. Um, a shaver, um, soap, uh, shampoo, uh, razor, toothbrush, toothpaste. Uh, this time of year when it's pretty cold, believe it or not, it's been, you know, 30 and 40 degrees out there yeah. at night. So we've been doing the hand warmers. Mm -hmm. um, during the summertime, we've got um, suntan lotion. Uh, chapstick is always appreciated. Uh, combs for their hair. Um, oh, toenail clippers and fingernail mm -hmm. clippers. Um, aspirin. Um, I said sunblock already. So yeah. those are some of the items, you know, just, yeah. uh, something that's, uh, portable, but has the things in it that, you know, we all take for granted. Um, but just think about your, your dob kit that you take when you go on vacation, sure. right? It's 
small bag and it's got a bunch of stuff in it. Um, so the small samples are not too difficult to, to get these days. I think yeah. socks are the biggest expense, but they're also the thing that make people the happiest, believe it or not. A lot of the other stuff, they're like, eh. I mean, you know, they need it, but the socks, like they smile, they get excited. That's, that's a great idea, especially for folks in big cities where you just feel like you don't know if you're doing the right thing, giving money or, you know, how do you respond? Yeah. So you don't want to ignore somebody, but to give them something that's going to actually be meaningful and yeah. helpful. And, and water is helpful too, but mm. it's not as, um, you know, it takes up space. It's heavy. Yeah. So when we can, we, we give out a bottle of water, but mm. you know, that's, it's not as critical as these other supplies. And you mentioned, and I, I, I forgot to look up, remind myself the details of this, that you had a big event that you just, uh, uh dealt with for the Super Bowl. Um, oh yeah. What was that? So every year we have a client who uh, is in the repro graphic business. So it just so happens that he's kind of parallel industries and similar clients, but he came to us a number of years ago and he said, Hey, I have this idea. I want to do a big Super Bowl party for the military currently enlisted and, you know, having also been, uh, out of being active. And, um, so he's got, oh my gosh, they do cigars. The food is amazing. Um, they do massages, they do <laughs> bands. The SC marching band comes, he's an SC graduate. And he also was on the board of directors there. Uh, Gary Crisp is his name, Crisp Repro Graphics. And, um, then we provide roughly 10 TVs all on video distribution for, you know, wherever the event is, they've moved it a couple of times. Uh, this year is at the American Legion again. Um, which is funny because then they called me after and said, Hey, we kind of want to do a V system for our place. I said, unfortunately, it's just not what we do. Like we do residential and they want PA and all that. Stuff. Oh yeah. Um, so I give them a couple of people a call. Um, that was a really great event. Uh, my guys, you know, we have to gather everything up. It's a little different every year. And then we deploy on Friday, we monitor it on Saturday and on Sunday we staff it. And then Monday morning we break it all down and pull it back and stick it back in the warehouse. Um, and they're super appreciative and it's a great event. So. That's, that's awesome. Well, uh, to close, I just wanted to mention that it, it was just announced today that the uh, to kind of bookend how we started, the Cedia Awards have been uh, rebadged the Cedia Smart Home Awards. Um, mm, and uh, yeah, yeah. And so some new categories there, including uh, health, sustainability, and wellness projects. So uh, yeah. I, I'm sure that that'll offer you some new opportunities for uh, inspiration and hope to see you there. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm super happy it's not virtual and we're back to having it in person. So, Daryl, if you're listening, good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daryl's been doing great. And, Mark, I, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and need to get back to things, so uh, I'll let you go. But uh, really great talking to you and getting caught up. And next time I see you in person, we'll, we'll chat even further. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Mark Ontiveros is the founder and CEO of Audio Images in Tustin, California. You can learn more about his company at audioimages.tv. That wraps up today's show. Special thanks to Pretty Easy Podcast for producing and editing this episode. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast wherever you listen and watch podcasts. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe. Stay inspired and let us know if you have a great story to tell.